ಸ್ಥಾಪಕಾಯಧರ್ಮಸ್ವರ್ಮಸ್ವಿಣೆ ಅವತಾರವರಿಷ್ಠಾ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣಾ ನಮಃ ವಸುದೇವಸುತೇವ ಕಂಸಚಾನೂರಮರ್ದನ ಸೆಕ್ಷನ್ in which we concluded in the last class it is the 64th sloka the 64th verse of the second chapter of bhagavad gita where bhagwan says that a person who is beyond the likes and dislikes which is the product of raga dvesha attachment and aversion from attachment come likes from aversion dislikes so the one who has transcended that who has gone beyond attach attachment and aversion and correspondingly to the likes and dislikes such a person alone can attain tranquility and serenity that's what bhagwan has indicated in the 64th sloka the 64th verse of the second chapter so what it says raga dvesha vyuktaistu ವಿಷಯನ್ ಇಂದ್ರಿಯಶ್ಚರನ್ ಆತ್ಮವಶ್ಯೈರ್ ವಿಧೇಯಾತ್ಮ ಪ್ರಸಾದ ಅಧಿಗತಿ ಮ್ಯಾನ್ ಆಫ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಕಂಟ್ರೋಲ್ ವಿಧೇಯಾತ್ಮ ವಿಧೇಯಾತ್ಮ ಮೀನ್ಸ್ ಎ ಮ್ಯಾನ್ ಆಫ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಕಂಟ್ರೋಲ್ ವಿಧೇಯ ಆತ್ಮ ದಟ್ ಒನ್ ಹೂ ಹಸ್ ಕಂಟ್ರೋಲ್ಡ್ ಹಿಸ್ ಓನ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ವೆನ್ ಹೀಸ್ ಮೂವಿಂಗ್ ಅಮಾಂಗ್ ದ ಆಬ್ಜೆಕ್ಟ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಸೆನ್ಸಸ್ vishayan indriyaischaran so he is moving among the object of senses but he has established <clears throat> that equanimity how by going beyond the likes and dislikes he is neither attached to the things which are apparently pleasurable he is neither have hatred to the things which are apparently unpleasurable so he moves around them without being affected by them <clears throat> so that's what is being indicated by the term raga dvesha vyukta istu vishayan indriyaischara this vyukta vyukta means to get detached from raga and dvesha from attachment and aversion then what happens atma vashyair vidhe atma so the one has who has thus developed that self restraint this atma his own self is in his own vasha is his own control atma vashyair vidhe atma such a self restraint person for him alone that the serenity of mind is attainable there is no other way we can attain the serenity of mind 
So as we were speaking in the last class, that it speaks of developing psychological immunity. Just as in our body, we have to develop immunity. Nowadays, this term immunity has become very common with the prevalent of this COVID infection. We find everywhere you go, this, this speak of that we have to grow immunity because we have almost no control over the external environment. The germs are there, the, all the viruses are there. All don't get infected in the same way. Why? It depends on the power of immunity. So to think of the external world <clears throat> totally favorable, where the things which I like is not in my presence, the things to which, <clears throat> sorry, the things to which I am inordinately attached is not in my presence. And the things which I hate, they're also not in my presence. To think of such a laboratory condition, but I am as if in a laboratory where all the favorable conditions has been set in, is not possible in this physical world. That nowadays we find the criticism that the media has become all pervasive. How to protect ourselves? Everywhere we find that the media, through the media, it is trying to distract us. How to save ourselves? So there again, that same thing we have to understand that Vishayan Indriyashcharan, that this will be there. The world will go on its own way. I have no control over that. My integrity depends on how I develop that psychological immunity. But let them be in my present. When it is possible to avoid them, of course I will avoid. I will not as if uh, invite myself to all those circumstances to prove that I am not in any way attached by them. That's not the intention. Wherever it's possible, of course I will avoid. But in this life, we will find that in spite of all our sincere attempt to, <clears throat> to be away from the sensitive pleasures of life, we have to be with them. <clears throat> we have to move around in this world. That's what Sthita Pragya does. He's moving around in this world. That you will, uh, if you remember that Arjuna asks three questions. <clears throat> that how does a Sthita Pragya behave himself? That Kimasita Vrajeta Kim. That when he is with himself, how he conducts, and when he's moving around with the people, how he's conduct, how he conducts himself. So this is the answer <clears throat> to that question. That when he's moving around. He cannot keep himself only in that ideal laboratory condition. When he's moving around in this world, he has to interact how he's behaving. So there he has developed that capacity to not be affected by the so-called likes and dislikes. A man of strong likes and dislikes can never attain peace in life. The like and dislike, both we have to remember that attachment of course, distracts us. There is no need to explain that. Even hatred. Hatred is a negative attraction. You will find the thing which I love. That 
drags my mind that keeps my mind engaged with the object of love but the ob- thing which i hate we will find sometimes more intensely it engages my mind so it is an attraction in a negative way so both are distracting us then what's the way out here bhagwan is of course saying that i have to keep myself detached but it's not easy just as someone instructs me be detached from raga dvesha how can i keep myself detached because when i am with the objects of the senses my mind naturally is drawn towards it i am helpless so for that a faculty has to be developed and that throughout the bhagavad gita in this shloka he is just indicating that you have to go beyond the raga dvesha but throughout the bhagavad gita in the later chapters you will find that what's the way out so he will be speaking in the 18th chapter not only in the 18th chapter there are many places but in the 18th chapter the concluding chapter in he speaking of manmana bhav mad bhakto mad yaji maam namaskur always think of me manmana bhav let your mind be constantly contemplating on me mad bhakta be my devotee if you find your emotive faculty is disturbing you because by getting engaged in the inordinate attachments try to bring it out from there and engage in me try to be emotively engaged with me through devotion that's mad bhakto mad yaji if you have to relate to someone in a worshipful attitude in this world so many things we adore if you really have to adore adore me mad yaji maam namaskaru bow down to me so what it is speaking of sri ramakrishna is to say very interesting thing that michri mishtir modhe noy that sugar candy is not to be considered as sweet why in ayurveda they say <clears throat> that sugar generally all the things uh, which are having lot of sugar contents all the food they increase the acidity but in ayurveda it is uh, <clears throat> it is prescribed that when the sugar has been crystallized to form sugar candy that sugar candy when you put it in water that water that water which in which the sugar candy has been diluted you drink it it acts as an antacid it cools down your digestive system so that's why sri ramakrishna used to say the sugar candy is not to be considered as sweet because like though the sweet any other sweet is the result is acidity this is the thing which is just contrary it like it acts like an antacid that's what is being spoken of in ayurveda <coughs> the same thing happens with devotion now devotion is also a raga devotion to god is also an attachment a devotee is very much attached to god but that attachment is not to be considered as raga when bhagwan is saying raga desha vyuktaistu that be detached from raga and dvesha <clears throat> we have to be detached from the raga and dvesha as per our attachment to this worldly sensed world is concerned not to god that for that bhagwan himself has instructed throughout the bhagavad gita that be devoted to me why that how it helps 
as Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that's the only way to develop detachment. I cannot forcefully detach myself. In the words of Ramakrishna, he used to say very nicely that <clears throat> if there is a, that uh, on the scar, when it is healing, so the scab which develops over the scar, if you forcefully remove that, the scar will lacerate. Let it fall off naturally. So we cannot force renunciation. We cannot just uh, that whatever is uh, in order to be pulling me, I just force myself out of it. I will be harming myself. I will be developing a lot of psychological complications. So that's not the way, not subjugation, but sublimation. Develop love for something sublime so that the other trivial love, all those inordinate attachment which speaks of our attachment to something trivial, they fall off naturally. The more you go towards the East, the more West falls behind. That's the simple words of Ramakrishna. The same idea which is spoken of in Bhagavad Gita, that more you develop devotion for the Lord, the attachment for other things falls off naturally. So it speaks of sublimation. That's the way we can get rid of our inordinate raga attachment and aversion. How it works in psychology? The same thing as whenever the context comes, we bring the discussion back. You will find the same discussion we have discussed, the same point we have discussed in some other context. Let us bring that discussion again in this context. That raga dvesha, how we develop inordinate attachment towards anything. If you see the functioning of the mind, you will find that how we have developed inordinate attachment or aversion <clears throat> that in the process of evolution, we have just uh, what we have done out of necessity whenever we were pursuing something. But out of necessity, we were trying to get something. In the process of doing it again and again, out of necessity, what I do today, when I do it again and again, a path is as if created in my mind. My mind gets wired. Once the mind gets wired, I forget the necessity. Just doing it becomes my obsession. Even hatred also. I will just give two examples. That rag, that how have we have the developed this uh, this inordinate liking for sweet, because the evolutionary scientists have already discovered the fact that as the food gatherers, when we were procuring our ancestors were procuring food in the forest, what they were doing, they were in search of food, they were collecting sweet, they were always in search of sweet roots, sweet herbs, sweet fruits. Why? They discovered that other taste, apart from sweet, the other taste, there is doubt. It may be toxic, it may nourish. If anything is sour, if anything is bitter, they may be toxic, they may be nourishing. But sweet is invariably, in nature, anything sweet is invariably going to nourish you. It's not going to kill you. So out of necessity, they were in search of sweet fruit, sweet herbs. And in the process, as we were doing it repeatedly for generations, our mind got wired. That, that wired uh, this, uh, function of the mind is transmitted through the genes. 
It has got so strongly wired. And as it has got wired, we have developed inordinate attachment. We forgot the necessity. So now we will find that the one of the main cause of all the lifestyle diseases is too much intake of sugar. In all the food, that hidden sugar is, is a cause of all the disease. So just see how the necessity got converted into inordinate attachment. Not only that, I forgot, I'm just not remembering the exact name. Anorexia, yeah. Many of you have heard of anorexia. <clears throat> it's a psychological disease. What's that? That you know that nowadays that to maintain the figure, sometimes many will be resorting to that extreme dieting. They won't take food at all. So it's out of necessity they are avoiding food. That aversion can also become a compulsion. It can also become an obsession. The same process is followed. That when I am out of necessity, what that I have to keep myself that fit, not only it's not fitness actually, sometimes craze for to be slim. I'm avoiding food, avoiding food. At the beginning, there's a necessity that, okay, just for maintaining my figure, I'm avoiding food. After some time, that becomes an obsession. They will not take even the optimum amount of food required to maintain his body. They become skin and bones. They have to be admitted to the hospital and forcefully through drip, the food has to be given. And there are extreme cases. In extreme cases, there are many cases of death because of the psychological, the psychological disease where you have developed total aversion for food to the extent that you are not even taking the optimum amount of food to maintain your health. So just see how our brain is tricking us. That's the limitation. It takes us spirally downwards. That raga, dvesha, both are compulsions. These both are the compulsions. Please come. These both are compulsions. How to come out of it? So when I am trying to have devotion towards God, which is a sublime, what you say, there's something sublime. Now, this is a something wonderful that when I'm trying to develop devotion, what's here also, I am actually resorting to that limitation of the mind that what you do again and again, it creates a path in my mind. So at the beginning, most probably it, you require a willpower. I take a resolution with that resolution. I try to contemplate on the divine. That man mana bhava mad bhakta. Throughout my day, whatever I'm doing, I'm trying to keep my mind on the, on the divine. It's not easy. It gets distracted. Again, I try. This repeated attempt brings at last something called the devotion. If you try to be manmana, you're bound to be madbhakta. The devotion. Why? The mind is following the same thing because of that wiring. Once that wiring is done, it now develops the love. Well, this love is something qualitatively different from all other inordinate attachments and aversions. That raga, dvesha, both are the product of compulsion, just as now we were discussing. We can get rid of this, to, uh, this raga and dvesha for all worldly things 
with the love of God. You may say, how? In my mind at present, I find that when I have developed an attachment for a thing, and again, I develop attachment for something else, both coexist. There are so many attachments in my mind coexisting. Why not my love for God also can coexist with the others? That you are saying when you develop love for God, the other love falls off. In the Bhagavad Gita itself, we will find in some other, in a very interesting way, this idea has been discussed. What happens as this love is qualitatively different? Its quality is different from all other attachment. How? We will under, easily understand that all our love, our attachments, which I have developed through the process of evolution, depends on something external. In your life, you just find out that uh, my love as per my relations are concerned, my love as per the wealth is concerned, my love as per my name and fame is concerned. Everything is depending on something external. The one whom I love, if he or she doesn't reciprocate the love, my love is of no use. It is going to be a failure. I cannot have that relationship. The wealth I want to earn, if I am not successful, I cannot get it. The name and fame, the position, everything. It depends on the external circumstances. I may get it, I may not get it. So there is always concern related to all our endeavors as per the external uh, uh, objects of desires are concerned. All the objects are uh, objects of desire are extraneous. So there's always concern that I may not get it. <clears throat> Throughout the life we have experienced that, that so many things we want, that fear is there, I may not get it. And once we get it, again the fear is there, I may lose it. The same thing, whether it is relation, whether it is wealth, whether it is name and fame. So in Bhagavad Gita, the two words have been used in much later, yoga, kshema. Yoga is not in the spiritual sense. Yoga means union. So here the word yoga, which we are using in the context of gathering, getting the external objects of desire means my union with the object of my desire. So that is yoga. Kshema means to maintain. So always with all our likes and dislikes, there's always concern related to the yoga to get it and to preserve its kshema. But this new love by repeated spiritual practice, by using my willpower, I am trying to be man mana, you are bound to be madbhakta. And what happens after some time, because of repeated practice, you are creating a path in your mind. Once the path is created, once you have wired that mind in this new way, this is something qualitatively different from all other love. How? This new love is not depending on, is not dependent on something external. That when I just sit down or when I am contemplating on the God, it doesn't depend on any external factor. No one can take it away from me. As in one of the Miraz Bhajan, that famous lines are there, that what this love is, what's the nature of this love? Kharche nahi koi, chor na leve. Dina dina varata It never gets expended. Other your wealth may get expended. Your name and fame you will be lost. Your relations may be again lost. 
but this is the thing it never gets expended no one can steal it from you the more you practice the more intense the more you practice the more deep groove you create in your mind the more intense becomes your love so dina dina varata savayo so we have created a path which is not dependent on something external so as a result what happened all the concerns related to yoga and kshema whether i will get it and once i get it can i preserve it that fear is not there in this in this new love is the only love in life which you have designed all others were but through default this is the thing you have designed no one can take away from you and once you the more you practice the more intense it becomes the love so now you will understand that you have created a path in the mind where there is no interactions there is no interjections there is no crossing there is no question of traffic whenever my object of love is something extraneous there is always question of clash my interest may clash with yours that's we find in the world which results in jealousy will results in fight which results in turmoil which results in all sorts of external turbulence and of course by inner turbulence because there is lot of traffic my interest is clashing with others here i have created an interest which is like a freeway when i have developed love for god you can develop love for god in any way it is not interacting yes i can love you can love no no harm in it my love in no way is going to hamper your love or as you are loving in no way i am going to miss the object of my love it is something sublime that's why sri ramakrishna used to say that moon is everyone's moon that in you know that when the children are growing up the mothers in that in the all our in the olden lo- days they will point out the grandparents will point to the moon and say that is your uncle so ramakrishna is indicating that in a funny way by saying that just the way the moon is everyone's uncle god is everyone's own that by making god your own in no way he is taking away god from others so he is the object of universal love that's we understand and that love once you develop there is no question of the fear of losing you always have it with you so you have developed a freeway where there is no interaction with others so there is no concern so when you have developed a love which is in no way there is concern that it is with me no one can take it away from me my na- mind's natural tendency will be to traverse through that path why should i traverse through the path which is full of traffic which is full of turmoil conflicts that previously there was no freeway there was only this roads which was going through the traffic i had no other way i have to travel mind cannot sit in one place it has to travel so it was bound to travel though it was getting again and again this a lot of kicks lot of uh, shocks still there was no way it had to go but once through design you have created this freeway mind's natural tendency is to traverse through that why should we go through the other paths so now you will understand when bhagwan is saying raga desha vyukta it doesn't mean that you even don't develop raga for god it is something which is not included in this that's why throughout bhagavad gita again and again he will saying will be saying manmana bhava that you get rid of raga dvesha in relation to the world 
नॉट विथ मी मनमना भव मद भक्त मद याजी माम नमस्कुरु सो नाउ यू मे से एन अनदर इंटरेस्टिंग थिंग दैट आई हैव डेवलप्ड द लव फॉर गॉड एंड इट इज सो स्ट्रांग दैट द अदर लव हैज फॉलन ऑफ देन व्हाट्स द वे माय वर्ल्डली नीड्स विल बी टेकन केयर ऑफ भगवान हैज अश्योर्ड इन भगवत गीता दैट इफ यू बिकम लाइक दैट व्हेन यू रियली हैव your love of god is so strong that you cannot take care of your worldly needs then god will provide you the yoga kshema he will not only provide you he will carry it for you so that's the assurance he has given that yoga kshema vahamyam just the way you just see the plan of the universe a small child when he is born he is helpless god has provided the love in the parent in the elderly to take care of the child he doesn't have to think whenever you are helpless because uh, that just like a child know it for certain the plan of the universe is such you will be taken care of god will carry that is assuring bhagavad gita that it is not only he will provide just as if like your servant he will carry for you all the things which you need and then preserve for you yoga kshema so that's the state which has been spoken of here a realized soul one who is sthita pragya so you can become sthita pragya only when you have went to that realization your wisdom has become steady you are totally dependent on the divine or the likes and dislikes has fallen off god will take care of you when the ramakrishna organization was formed its holy mother's prayer that how the sadhus will survive have they just to go around just begging she prayed that see that in your name in ramakrishna's name these have came out just it is the mother the mother is praying that just see that they don't have the dearth of minimum clothing and shelter and food just the basic thing it is provided the prayer of the divine is there when narendranath you know this very interesting stories are there when narain's father died swami vivekananda's father died he uh, uh, he there was tremendous financial difficulties he was going through that uh, for days together he won't have food so that that the, he can save uh, save his share for the family and as it became almost unbearable he never knew that how he can maintain his family after the death of his father one day he told ramakrishna that you are mother's devotee you you whatever you pray for mother grants you why not you pray that for my sustenance that so that i can just uh, maintain my family and then ramakrishna told that as narendranath as a young narendranath we find he used to go to brahma samaj he believed in the formless aspect of god initially so he always used to censor this idol worship so that's why ramakrishna immediately is retorting back and saying narend that you don't believe in uh, mother what can i do you if you have the belief then you yourself go and pray i can assure you i am assuring you if you go whatever you ask 
It was an auspicious day for the mother. He told a very interesting thing. You go and whatever you ask, the mother will grant you. This is a very interesting story. You know that it can be related to this type of this, uh, this locus. When Naren, being directed by Ramakrishna, went to the Kali temple, seeing the Divine Mother, she felt that he felt that she is living. And in his presence, the moment he was about to pray, he felt very uh, that ashamed that how can I ask for these small petty things? He told that, give me jnana, give me bhakti, give me vairagya, all these spiritual qualities he asked, came back. Ramakrishna asked, did you ask that uh, the mother for your sustenance, for a little wealth? He said, I forgot. Look what type of person you are. I just told you, whatever you ask will be granted. Go again. He goes for the second time. And again, the presence of the mother was overwhelming. Again, he forgets. Again, the same thing. He asks only for this viveka, vairagya, jnana, knowledge, bhakti, and all those spiritual qualities. Comes back, again rebuked by Ramakrishna, again he goes. The third time, again, the same thing happens. This time he feels very much ashamed that this time, as already twice he has failed, this time he was not overwhelmed. He thought, let me really ask. But again, he felt ashamed. How can I ask for such pitiable things in front of the Divine Mother? He again prayed for jnana bhakti came back and then he then he told his helplessness that he cannot pray for such trivial things and then what ramakrishna is saying that again speaks of yoga kshema vahamyam that when is somehow your love for the divine has has enabled you to transcend this all these so called inordinate attachments and hatreds for the things with which our worldly uh, existence is involved then God takes care Ramakrishna at last what he's saying now what Narind asked for that's what Ramakrishna is saying that I pray to the mother that let there not be the, any dearth for the minimum it's not that your uh, relatives will live in luxury the minimum sustenance that will be taken care of and it was taken care of Till even after Swami Vivekananda passed away, his mother was still living. There are so many interesting stories. The Raja of Khetri. Yes, uh, when Swamiji was alive, Raja of Khetri was also alive. Raja of Khetri used to send money every month to uh, Bhuvaneshwari Devi, Vivekananda's mother. And in those days, you know that the, somehow the that you know the minimum sustenance came. It was not that they were rich, but she was just having the amenities for the minimum sustenance, momenting the family. In the, there are so very interesting stories are there. When the Raja of Khetri is to send the money, uh, the stories are interesting. In those days, it used, to, it used to be sent by post. And there used to be a lot of theft. Means uh, things were to this. The, if there is some money in the envelope that was taken away, the empty envelope will come. So what Raja of Khetri is to do is very interesting. He will cut the, uh, this currency note into two pieces. He will send half of the piece and, and uh, when it reaches, there has to be an acknowledgement. The Bhuvaneshwari Devi has to acknowledge, send an acknowledgement I have got. And then the other half of the note was sent and these two halves she is to take to the bank and show that this somehow this, uh, this uh, rupee currency note has been destroyed and she is to get a fresh note. So. Just I'm just saying that uh, that she that the sustenance was going on I mean, throughout the life. Somehow the minimum sustenance 
that was maintained mota bhat kapurer abhav hobe na yoga kshemam vahamyam so this speaks a wonderful thing which has spoken of that sthita pragya who has that developed so much love for the divine that all the raga dvesha has fallen off there is no more concern is a god who takes care of it he simply lives this life with that <clears throat> attaining the tranquility where all the likes and dislikes has fallen off and that's the answer to arjuna's question that how a man of realization a man who is sthitadhi whose dhi whose uh, pragya whose wisdom is stable but never he never wavers in his wisdom how he moves around in this world so that was the answer so after this answer the next naturally the question comes that once you attain the tranquility what are the um, uh, effects of it how it is going to affect my life in a positive way that as we always say that even a fool cannot be motivated to do something if he doesn't know the result can any will, will anyone be motivated to do the if any actually has no result can he be motivated to do it no so what's the result if you have developed the tranquility that will be described in the 65th shloka the next shloka that what's the outcome that once you develop the tranquility and these two things happen prasade the 65th shloka of the second chapter prasade sarva dukhanam hanir asya upajayate prasanna chetasa hi ashu buddhi pariyava tishthate the two effects has been spoken of the first line speaks of the first thing uh, the first effect and the second line speaks of the second effect that ensues when you develop the tranquility of mind so when there is serenity prasade when there is serenity when you have attained prasada that's what is being indicated by the word prasade what happens sarva dukhanam hani asya upajayate that all the suffering in life is eradicated in totality hani asya upajayate sarva dukhana the word sarva speaks of in totality there cannot be any more suffering the suffering falls off from your life so sometimes uh, by happiness we think something that a sense of elation but in the scripture the happiness is not spoken of as an elation it is more spoken of as a tranquility it's spoken of as a let go we shouldn't uh, confuse the happiness which has been spoken of as the outcome of our spiritual wisdom with the happiness of worldly uh, sensed pleasures this worldly sensed pleasures are in uh, that accompanied with the tintillation of the nerves and excitement it is not this type of happiness this there is a difference between excitement and let go excitement at last ends in exhaustion this let go gives that the sense of happiness which has as if no ending it's something which stays with you so that type of happiness is attained when you go beyond the likes and dislikes how it happens as we have described this prasade sarva dukhanam hani let us try to understand this first 
that when you go beyond the likes and dislike, all the so-called suffering ends for me once for all. And I enjoy a type of placidness, a bliss, which ensues from let go. That all the likes and dislikes are like the various mental modules. Our mind is not just one mind. That each and every like and dislike, which we have developed through the process of evolution, they constitute a particular stimuli response conditioning and it becomes a subset of our mind. There are say various such subsets. And what's happening, constantly they are bubbling, each and all these subsets of mental modules, the small mental modules. That is not one mind, these innumerable mental modules constitute our mind. And they that at a particular time, only one module gets activated. And for that module, the stimuli response conditioning is fixed. Whatever response is there for that stimuli that is going to happen, giving us a feeling I am deciding, but actually the module is deciding. We never take decision. And these modules, every all the modules want to be pampered. They, because at a time, only one module gets activated. They all want to be pampered. They all want to get activated. That's how they get nourished. And that's how the mind is always in turmoil. When I'm in default mode, when I'm just sitting quietly, then I can understand how pitiable my condition is. Suddenly one thought comes again from nowhere, another thought comes. And sometimes when I look at my mind, I'm puzzled. What a cauldron, as if this a hodgepodge of like the khichdi. So this mixture of so many things is happening there. It's been cooked there. It's a something, This it's a the cauldron of the hell that so much of this, uh, uh, this cooking is going on of various ideas constantly. Why? Because they all want to be pampered. This condition is like, as we give that example, that you feed birds. And the morning when you feed the birds, you are just sitting outside with the grains and immediately all the birds come and all wants to be pampered, all wants to be fed all wants to draw your attention. So now you decide one day that I am not going to pamper them anymore. I won't feed them anymore. If I have to feed, I have to feed the divine, the new metal model which I have developed. This I won't feed anymore. So what happens after two days, three days, when they come because they have the expectation, these birds will come back. All the mental models will still try to disturb you. But as you have developed love for the divine, the other mental modules are not fed in a short time after a few, after a short duration, they will start falling off, rendering you free. This can be understood in another way. As we told that you have developed a new path in your mind, you start traversing that. You, have, you must have noticed when you go for a walk in the park, you're walking on the green lawn. Most probably previously you were walking, used to just take a particular path. As you used to walk in that path, the green, that you will find that the grass dries and a path is created. That's how a path is created in the mind. Now, if you change your path, start walking in some another uh, route. And after a few days, you will find as no one is walking in that old route, 
the grass again grows there. So same thing happens in my mind. If we are not that the previously wired paths in our mind, if we are not traversing there for quite long, they start getting erased because this new path, as you are traversing again and again, they get erased. So in both the ways we can understand that as we are not feeding them, they are gradually becoming weak. They are getting the feedback that we won't be fed anymore. They fall off and this old path gets dried. This old path again, gets uh, totally uh, deleted. And then what happens for the first time, you enjoy a sense of lightness. These likes and dislikes were the thing like a heavy weight I was carrying constantly. There was no way out. And I got so habituated with them that though I was suffering, sometimes I even don't realize that I'm suffering. I was habituated with that suffering. And for the first time, because of your love of the divine, when the other likes and dislikes has fallen off, suddenly you find that the weight has been taken away from you. Just imagine that you are carrying a baggage for days together. And the moment you keep down the baggage, what type of feeling you have? A tremendous relaxation. That, oh, what's a heavy weight. I got habituated with it. I was carrying. I, I never realized that I'm carrying the baggage. I realize it only when I keep it down. Then that sense of that relaxation, that let go ensues. So the same thing has been spoken of here. That when you go beyond the likes and dislikes, and when you attain that this tranquility, then all these things has fallen off. Sarva dukkhanam hani rasyopajayate. It takes you to that state of bliss, which doesn't speak of tintillation of nerves, not excitement, but the tranquility which comes from that uh, this, this uh, let go, which let go, which ensues from the falling off of all the so-called inordinate attachments and aversions in life, the likes and dislikes. So that's the first result. You enjoy a bliss which you have never experienced before. That's the first thing. Second is prasanna chetaso hi ashu buddhi pariyava tishthate. That the wisdom of one who has a serene mind becomes wholly established. This is a very important thing. That in our day-to-day life, we all, even in this, we're living in this life, we want this to think. We want happiness and we want wisdom. Why? That in each and every phase of our life, stage of our life, we find that we are baffled with our decision. Sometimes in retrospect, we repent. Oh, the decision we took was not correct. So here, when you are tranquil, you know it for certain, your buddhi becomes wholly established. You can never take a faltering step. Why it happens? That your, you become established in wisdom. You, you enjoy bliss and at the same time, you start, uh, you get established in wisdom. You find not only in your spiritual life, even in your day-to-day life, in all the situations that your decision speaks of wisdom, how it happens with the tranquility of mind. Again, what happens? All the bias falls off. Our likes and dislikes speaks of our biases. And this bias never allow us to take the correct decision. We are already biased. 
because of our likes and dislikes. Our likes and dislikes is our, this our bias colors our world. Because of our likes and dislikes, we develop the bias and that taints our world. That's the example which we give again and again. That in Vedanta, that very famous example, that how our bias taints our vision, distorts our vision. That there is a stump in the corner of a park. A tree which has died, only the stump is there. In the twilight hours, in the dusk, when it's, uh, the light, it is not well lighted, a small child, his game is over. Most probably mother is waiting somewhere, uh, sitting on, in a bench in the park, waiting for the child to come back. Now the child is in search of the mother. His play game is over. From a distance, it sees the stump and thinks it should be the mother because its mind is already biased. It's in search of its mother. The mother is in search of the child that when the child will come back, the game is over. From a distance, she sees the stump and she thinks it should be the child. The lover is in search of the beloved. She, he or she thinks it to be the beloved. A police is running away from the thief. The police, uh, the thief sees it to be the police. The police sees it to be the thief. So as per the bias, the stump, which is a stump, is being envisioned so differently, is being perceived so differently. So this speaks our, our bias distorts our vision. You don't see the thing correctly. And as I don't see the thing correctly, how can I take the decision? So we have to get rid of the bias. There's another interesting story which Sri Ramakrishna says of chess players. Two are playing the chess and third is the onlooker. They're all, of course, not professionals. Just they're amateurs, they're playing. And the, you will find always the onlooker. He says the he or she says the correct move. The one who are playing, they are faltering. It may give you an impression that the one who is an onlooker is a most probably skilled player. Now the role changes. The one who was onlooker, he starts playing or she starts playing. And the one who was playing, he becomes the onlooker. And now you will notice a wonderful thing. The one who was saying the correct move, the moment he starts playing, he or she will be faltering. The one who was playing and now is the onlooker, now is saying the correct move. Why it happens? Because those who are playing, their mind is having full of expectations. Again, the bias is working, but I have to win. The fear of losing is there. I shouldn't lose. I have to win. So 80%, 90% of the mind is clouded with all those anticipations, expectations, worries. You cannot give the mind totally on the game. The one who is the onlooker has nothing to do with the winning or losing. His mind is totally focused on the game. That speaks of the wisdom. The more you are tranquil, the more the bias falls off, the more the likes and dislikes falls off, the more the tranquil is your mind, the more focused it is, the more it is giving attention to the thing on which it is supposed to give. And then that speaks of the wisdom. As someone asked Einstein that, What's the secret behind your intelligence? He, his answer was very interesting, very significant. He told the thing which I think important, I give a lot of time for it. My total energy is involved in that. A lot of time, just go on 
thinking over it, thinking over it, everything else falls off and the knowledge automatically comes. So the more we are focused, the more the knowledge comes. The more, and for the focus, the tranquility of mind is important. Without the tranquility, the bias never falls off. And without the bias, our visions can never be distorted. So this speaks of the second factor, that first is that let go ensues, you enjoy a state of bliss. And the second, your decisions are no more faltering. You get established in wisdom. Just see that it is speaking of something which is not, which of course has spiritual implications, but it do have implications in our day-to-day life. So how meditation can help. Through meditation, when I can develop love for God, it's not something mere spiritual. Even in our day-to-day life, we will find that I am more equipped to face the challenges of life. And that's what Bhagavad Gita is. Arjuna was trying to flee. God has brought him back again to fight the battle, to face the circumstances of life. And then he's propounding Gita. So Bhagavad Gita is not a scripture to run away. It is to face the challenges of life with the spirituality. The spirituality is not to run away. The spirituality is to face the challenges of life and you face it in a much, much better way. That's why Swami Brahmananda used to say that give the mind to God, three-fourths of mind to God and with the one-fourth mind, take, take care of the worldly activities. Know it for certain. That is more than enough. So that's the thing is being indicated that you get that wisdom just when it is the your entire three-fourths of your mind is given to the divine, that one-fourth mind, that tranquil mind, that one-fourth mind is sufficient to take care of all the things with wisdom. So this Lord confirms this idea that what he has spoken of this, you have bliss and you attain wisdom. The bliss and the wisdom, these two things you attain when you attain tranquility by going beyond the likes and dislikes. In the 65th sloka, he's saying, in the 66th and the 67th, he will say, he will confirm to this idea by saying that if it doesn't happen, that if you don't attain the tranquility, then neither you attain bliss nor you attain wisdom. That neither you attain bliss will be spoken of in the 66th sloka, the next sloka. And the 67 speaks, the next 67 sloka will speak that you won't attain wisdom. So the 66 sloka. So let us just read this sloka. We will go through the literal meaning of it. We will go to the discussion again in the next class. Nasti buddhir ayuktasya. Nacha yuktasya bhavana. Nacha bhavayata shantihi. Ashantasya kuta sukham. Na asti buddhi ayuktasya. The one who is ayukta, whose mind is not yukta, is not connected to the object in which it is supposed to be connected. Ayukta. Yukta means to get connected. So nasti buddhir ayuktasya. The the person whose mind is not under his control. He has neither wisdom concerning the self, nasti buddhir ayuktasya, not the faculty of contemplation or meditation. That's nacha yuktasya bhavana. This bhavana is a word which we have to understand what it speaks of. Nacha bhavayata shanti. Nacha abhavayata shanti. 
And without contemplation, he can have no peace. And without peace, there cannot be happiness. So this is some sequence has been spoken of. That if when you obtain happiness, how you obtain that happiness? There is a sequence. And if that sequence is not follows, you don't get the happiness. So first they are saying, na asti buddhi ayuktasya. So without developing the faculty of controlling the mind, you can never have proper vichara, discrimination. So you, buddhi means the, this, the mind has this, the various faculties as per the various functions of the mind. The mind has been divided into mana, buddhi, ahankara, chitta. These are the four aspects. Chitta is the storehouse of all your impressions. Ahankara is that, that aspect of the mind, that part of the mind which gives you the sense of ego, that I am this body-mind complex. Ahankara. Mana. means This mana is a part of the mana. This mana becomes this sankalpa vikalpatmak mana. That in my mind, there are so many options are there. I may do a thing in a one way, I may, do, may not do it at all, or I may do it in some other way. That is this in Sanskrit they say kartum, akartum, anyatha kartum. So all these options are there. From those, all those options, I take a particular, I just choose a discriminate, a particular option to be followed. That speaks of the buddhi. That is nishchayatmika. That I am convinced of all these options, this is the best one. So just as we told that unless your biases have fallen off, you cannot choose the correct one. Your biases will distort your vision. So that's being mentioned by that na asti buddhi ayuktasya. And when your buddhi is not, you have not picked up the correct decision, there cannot be bhavana. Na cha yuktasya bhavana. What, what that speaks of? Very interesting. Just give me, a, let us give an example that a student is very interested in biology. And he thinks, bah, as I like biology, let me become doctor. Let me become a doctor. Let me ch- choose a professional course of medical science. And now when he goes to them, so the profession of them, the studies by medical science, most probably when he's studying, then also already the practical starts. He has to go to the hospital. He has to deal with the patients. Now he realizes one thing, that reading the biology in the textbook and to be in the hospital with all those patients who are suffering, you can see blood, you can see that the, the environment, which gives you a, your head starts reeling. You never were prepared to face that situation. So reading the thing in a book and to be in a situation is different. And now you find that the professional study which I have chosen was most probably not for me. Now all the focus with which you have went there is suddenly gone. It happens with many. That sometimes in our day-to-day life it happens in all the profession. That the interest as a student which we have when we are, I'm in the profession, then I suddenly feel this profession was not for me. And then you find that all the focus which you had, you cannot keep it there. Somehow you're dragging with it. That all that passion behind it has gone. So when your decision is not correct, you cannot 
have the decision that you cannot continue with the decision with bhavana bhavana means it's like nididhyasana that once you have developed a conviction you live on that conviction your your life is rotates around that conviction so that can never happen because the decision itself you have taken wrong because of your inordinate attachment so now how can you live with that contemplation so that speaks of bhavana nacha yuktasya bhavana that you cannot live with that distorted conviction you thought that this is the thing it is going to be uh, ideal for me and now you don't find it's not ideal how can you live with that so na bhav na abhava na cha abhava ayata shanti and now you find there is no peace of mind because the thing which you have decided upon you find is was not for you now where will you get peace ashantasya kutah sukham there can be happiness this is slokas are wonderful and it just speaks means you know the why bhagavad gita is so appealing you will feel that each bhagwan is addressing arjuna but when we read it we will find that he is addressing me he is addressing me each and every one is bound to feel that he is addressing me and that makes it so appealing so even from our day to day life we find this shloka is something wonderful it is speaking that throughout our life because of our inordinate attachments we take a decision which we think is going to be uh, what you say that is going to uh, build my life i am going to flourish because of this decision and then i find the decision i was i have taken was actually not meant for me i won't say wrong it was not meant for me and now i find that i am dragging with that existence i cannot have bhavana i cannot live with it that ideal cannot make can no more become my passion and as it cannot can become my passion as i'm dragging there can there cannot be any peace and as there is no peace how can there be real bliss in life is constantly that that it is nagging so just how wonderfully bhagwan is dealing with our psychology it has a spiritual implication also that this uh what we try to understand the understood uh, we try to understand this shloka from our secular perspective from the spiritual perspective also it has a very significant meaning that we will take up we will continue with this shloka and take up the spiritual aspect of it again in the next class with this we stop our discussion today thank you all namaskar yeah please um something um you know uh...